0: Hi, this is Mike McNamara and you're listening to All Marine Radio On your home for it, the one and only All Warrior Radio Network. Friday, <laughs> sorry about that, I forgot which day it was, um, broadcasting from Studio One in Costa Mesa, California, yeah, how about that, so uh, always nice to come home, and I've got to tell you a story about coming home, uh, made my day yesterday, so... Um, get up at 3 o'clock in the morning, East Coast time, Uh, shower, get ready, check out of the... the VOQ, Victor Oscar Quebec. I think it's Visiting Officers' Quarters, they call it, at New River. Get my receipt. Important stuff, right? And uh, head out to... Albert Ellis Airport, and uh, fly to Charlotte, Charlotte to Dallas, Dallas to Orange County. And uh, I wanted to buy a shirt. So Colleen picks me up, and I said, come on, let's swing by Macy's. She picked me up at about noon. She had class at 1. Colleen, uh, going to Orange Coast College, they're still doing Zoom classes until next week. And I, I have to tell you, um, for those of you who have students, I can't tell you how excited she is to go to school. <laughs> she is fired up. She goes, Dad, and, you know, the campus is so big, and I have to go find my classes. You know, and what has it been, 2020, summer 19, you know, right? And uh, all of 20, 2021, I mean, they've been at home. I mean, so anyway. Uh, we go to Macy's. Now, for those of you who have ever heard me tell this story, you'll recognize it, but um, I did post-traumatic winning for 2nd Battalion 5th Marines in San Clemente a couple years ago. Uh, Their battalion commander was a great guy. He still is a great guy. Anyway, he invites me down. And, um, And so on the way home that day, I um I go by the same Macy's to buy a shirt and I walk in the shirt and um his name is Isaac Moore. Okay. Um just so you know. Okay. And he goes by Ike. Anyway, he's a Iraq guy. I think he's an Afghanistan guy. But just uh I don't I'm not exactly sure where he's now. I hope he's still in Marine Corps needs officers like him, anyway. Uh, so, I spent the morning and had lunch with the Marines of Second Battalion, Fifth Marines, and we did it at um, in a church in San Clemente, uh, one of Rick Warren's churches. And then the prisoners uh, fed all the Marines on a Friday afternoon. So we started the morning and went through. They had lunch there, and all the prisoners fed them. And was, you know, it's just a wonderful. Wonderful event. Um, yeah, I he's like I said, he gets it. Anyway, um, and his whole crew did. So uh, I, I walk into Macy's and I take the escalator to the second floor to the men's department, right? And I'm looking for a shirt. And this woman I meet says, they're over there. Do you need help? And I said, no, I'll find it. So I walk over and I find the shirt I want and I come back and I she's standing there to bring it up and she's, you know, making chit chat. How are you today? I said, Well, as a matter of fact, I'm I'm awesome. And she smiled and she said, Really? And I said, Yeah. And she said, Why? And I said, Well, I um I do some speaking, some public speaking, and I did it this morning and uh and it was fantastic. And then she looked at me and she said, Can I ask you you mind if I ask you what you talk about? And I said, no, but I'd never really articulated this for a civilian. And so I'm like, how do I explain post-traumatic winning, you know, to somebody? And I thought for a second and I looked at her and I said, I teach people how to turn trauma into joy. And with that, she puts my shirt down and she looks at me and she says, could you teach me And I looked around and said, lady, you better, you better ring my shirt up or you're going to get your ass fired. And she starts laughing and she says, and she says, I'm not going to get fired. You're a customer. And I said, okay. So um, I gave her my business card. I said, go to my website. In the search window, type in the word winning and you're going to see all these podcasts come up about post-traumatic winning. And there's men, there's women, there's all kinds of interviews in there. I want you to promise me you'll listen to three of them. And she said, okay. And I said, no, promise me. And she starts laughing. She says, I promise. I said, all right. I said, now I'm going to give you a two-minute class. And, uh, And I did. And at the end of the class, she looks at me and she says, I don't know why God sent you into my life today, but I needed to meet you and i don't know if you can even imagine what that feels like when somebody accuses you of being an instrument of god in their life but it's you know it's it's one of the things that have happened to me over the course of the last now into the fourth year that makes my life literally unbelievable to live on a daily basis and um and i remember thinking i wish my mother could you know could be could listen could be here when these things happen right for all the times i she thought I was such a piece of shit and uh and I say that with great humor in my voice because my mom loved me, and I am the person I am, she is the voice in my head, right, and um I just you know there's things that happen to you that you know you know how tickled somebody would be um. To be standing next to you when it does happen. So anyway, um, I I've never seen her since, and I was even thinking, you know, in the last two weeks, did I remember that right? I was trying to remember where I was in, in the store and and where, and I'm like, God, I don't even know I'm remembering that right. So, Colleen and I talk, and I haven't seen Colleen in you know almost two weeks. So you know we're having fun, we're talking, and and uh, we walk into Macy's, we go upstairs, and uh, I was looking for a shirt, I find the shirt I want, and uh, find another one I didn't need but but bought, um, and we walk up to check out, and uh, we couldn't find anybody to ring us up at first, so we're look kind of looking around, then a woman walks up and she's ringing it up, and then all of a sudden, this woman walks up, and I look and I'm like that's her. And Colleen's standing next to me, (laughs) as as she tends to be when these things happen. And she's like, oh, my God, what is he going to do now? And I walked up and I said to her, this woman, right? I said, I don't know if you remember me, but I met you two years ago. And she looked at me. She says, I remember you. And I said, we were standing at this cast register and I told you that I teach people how to turn trauma into joy. And she smiled and she said, I remember. I said, did you listen? She said, I did. She said, thank you. Her name's Ellie, right? Her name's Ellie. And so I introduced her to Colleen. And I looked at her and I said, I tell people, every time I speak, I tell people about that story. And she puts both hands over her. I said, I talk about you all the time. And then I gave I, I, I got my business card. I said, Ellie, if there's ever anything I can do to you, if you ever need somebody to talk to you, call me. Right? And she gave me a hug and and the other girls standing around were like the soldiers like what the hell and one of them you know you know she puts her hand on her heart she goes oh my god and so yeah made yesterday um made yesterday awesome so um yeah so got home from you know i again i can't say thank you enough to the marines and sailors and the leaders of the second marine air wing uh the experiences I have there, um, the way they've treated, and, and again, um, the path they're blazing relative to mental fitness and operational readiness, unbelievable, unbelievable. So um, my thanks to General Cedar Sergeant Major Reif, um, and everybody who just was so nice to me and, and the way they, they take care of me and, and whatnot is just fantastic. So uh, a huge thank you to them. And uh, I'm home here for a couple of days and then I head up to Alaska to go speak to the first Air Force squadron I'll ever speak to. And so I'm excited about that. And so, yeah, yep, yep. So kind of busy time. Uh, good Friday morning. The Mensa brothers will join me in a few minutes. I have to tell you that our conversation is a little bit out of sync, and it's it's my fault. And out of, by out of sync, I mean uh, General Newbold wrote a piece that we should be talking about today, but because we had to record this Wednesday night because of my travel schedule, um, it's going to be a little bit out of sync. Uh, the other thing that you know that we'll talk about, and we'll have to do it next week, but um, is uh, a two thousand page Army report that came out, you know, and, um, in those, in that report is some pretty, pretty rough stuff about the Biden administration and the evacuation of the noncombatant evacuation operation at, um, the Kabul international airport. And, you know, we talk about all the time that a lot of people say truth to power and they will, and they mean that in a conditional sense. And the condition is this, until it affects my career, then I won't say shit. In the military, I would say 90% of military leaders are that way. And I know that's harsh, but I believe it. I will speak truth to power until it impacts my career, then I'm not gonna say shit. And the Marine Corps is a brigadier by the name of, by the name of Ferrell Sullivan. You want to see what truth speaking truth to power is, right? He does it. Speaking truth to power is that you will do it no matter what the circumstances are, even to your own personal detriment. And I have some great friends that are in that category. Just to, Most everybody else is not. Truth to power is something they testify to, but it's not something they live, especially when it's it might be detrimental to them. So, um, And let me tell you, General Newbold lived it, right? He resigned his position as a J-3 on the eve of the invasion of uh, of Iraq, saying, this is wrong, I will not be a part of it. And God bless him. And all General Newbold seems to do is tell the truth, right? Is tell the truth. The piece he, he wrote uh, is called... Um, a Retired Marine Three Star Explains Critical Military Theory. So, and uh, that's in Task and Purpose. So, um, yeah, written by Gregory Newbold. So, anyway, um, good morning to you on this Friday morning. The United States, it is Friday. That means Whitney Houston has the sing, right? So she will. Uh, Whitney Houston sings the national anthem. The Men's Brothers will follow after I do the weather. And I I have a comment to make about, about Russia beat Ukraine. So, good Friday morning to you. is dedicated to uh, General Newbold and General Sullivan. And uh, God bless you for what both of you have done in your careers. God bless you for living up to the oath you take. You know, I sent a, uh, I sent something to a friend of mine the other day, and uh, I said that shit ought to be straight up in a frame someplace. <laughs> And he started laughing and he said, you know, we all know how much you enjoy your own work, right? He said, but you're right about that, right? And here's the quote. Here's what I said. Someone's reaction to the truth is beyond my control. My oath demands my fidelity, and my fidelity demands that I tell the truth. And as I said, most of the people that raise their hand and say they they absolutely will speak truth to power don't even come close when it involves their own detriment to their career. So this is dedicated to two Marine general officers. Two Marines who happen to become general officers. Brigadier General Farrell Sullivan is still on active duty and retired Lieutenant General Greg Newbold for being an example for everybody. And the other you and the rest of you and that ninety percent that's afraid to tell the truth when it involves your own personal detriment, grow the fuck up, man. There's people that depend on you to do that kind of shit. So the shit we've seen in our nation doesn't fucking happen anymore. The shit at the airport, the shit off the coast of California, the shit on United States naval warships crashing into each other, burning in port. Time to grow the fuck up and do your job. So, this is dedicated to that idea. Challenging conditions and odds to win. You got to win. Time to check the weather. It is currently sunny and forty-nine in Quantico. It was cold the whole time I was on the East Coast, with maybe the exception of a day or two. Um, down the coast in North Carolina. It is sunny at 59, Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point. It is... And let me just give a shout-out to everybody um, who was so gracious to me at uh, Marine Corps Air Station Buford. It's just just a a great experience for me. And I got a chance to... uh, um, go talk to some Marines and, and check some stuff out at the F thirty five training squadron, the RAG five hundred one there, and uh, and then go check out the F eighteen simulator. So, kind of rolled out the red carpet for me, and just um, very, you know, not too things, you know, not too many things make me quiet. Um, well, when people look at me and say. Hey, thank you for everything you've done for us. I often don't know what to say. You know, you just think you're doing what you're supposed to do, right? And then you see the way it impacts. And it does land with a thud. And so, no, just thank you. At 29 Palms, it is sunny in 62. Yesterday, it was in the the 90s here in Southern California. Santa Ana wind conditions coming through Southern California. Sunny at 61 at Camp Pendleton. Camp Smith in Hawaii is dark, cloudy in 61. Okinawa, I'm sorry, Camp Smith is dark, clear in 61. In Okinawa, it's dark, cloudy in 65. In Manila, it's dark, cloudy 79. And in Darwin, it's raining dark in 83. Currently at the home of All Radio, it is sunny in 56. Looking for a high today of 79. With an overnight low of 55, and uh, let's see, 81 tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday, 80 for the Super Bowl, Monday, 79, Tuesday, 61. So that is a look at your weather. The um the thing I want to comment about is you're going to hear us talk about the Ukraine, and honestly, I when I do post winning, I don't really have much time to do anything else but that. Uh, my days consist of getting up. Uh, early and getting ready, and then getting to the venue and making sure that's all everything is all good, and then I'll speak for probably close to seven hours. I'll spend another three hours talking to different Marines, uh, both in the morning and in the afternoon. So it's a, it's a they're long days, and I come back and I normally make something to eat and eat in my room, and then I'll if I have any tweaks to make um, to the presentation, I will do that. And then I, uh, and then I try to go to bed. (laughs) And so um, I, I I did not get a chance to read a whole lot this week. And you're going to hear us talk about um, Russia and Ukraine. And and my, I I don't express my opinion very well. And as I said, I've been kind of out, out of it. I don't believe this is a wag the dog event. You know blasted about by the Biden White House. When you have a hundred somewhere between a hundred and a hundred and fifty thousand troops on somebody's border with everything that it takes, an intelligence report says you know, they are to the point where they can go, and that means they're tracking refuelers, that means they're re- they're tracking all the logistics that go with sustaining that. Okay, those are the kind of things you're tracking. I, that's not to me a made for T V event. And uh, but I believe the most surprising thing to me that's happened is how uh, the West has been able to keep Germany in the fold, right? And uh, and even you know the United Kingdom, Boris Johnson, who has his own problems, right? Uh, wrote an op-ed for the Wall Street Journal talking about they stand in the, the the UK stands in solidarity with its central European allies right if you notice central European allies okay kind of interesting right kind of interesting um and so I don't think it's made for TV event and I think Vladimir Putin this is, I don't think this is playing out as he would like I think now what he's looking at is who is offering an, him an avenue to to salvage this. And I think one of the most interesting parts of all of this is the information operations that are going on, right? You see, you saw the United States, what, a week or two ago, maybe 10 days ago, talk about Russia is um, looking to put a, a – to videotape a false attack, they'll blame it on the Ukraines as a pretense to go in there. Right? So that was, I mean, that was done preemptively. And I think if, uh, you know, if you read stuff I was reading yesterday on the flight home, um, the Western allies have learned from what Vladimir Putin did when he annexed the Crimea. And, uh, And this is, you know, some of these elements are of the same blueprint, but they were too slow to react. So information operations are a big deal; they they can shape world opinion. So it's interesting, you know. I'd be curious to know where we're getting our intelligence and whatnot. But I think you see a a a dance that is playing out. uh, The Russian military doing maneuvers, and I agree with you know that if he goes. He's not going to open up a broad front war in Ukraine. He doesn't know how that will end and it has too much downside. So, um, but to me, that's not a wag the dog event that's going on over there. And I think the solidarity of the Western allies has pushed him into a little bit of a corner. And certainly China can buy all the natural resources. If, uh, if, if embargoes get placed on Russia. So that's a bit of a, certainly a lifeline for him. But it won't repair the damage. And if the, if the damage is extended, I mean, his, his, his economy is smaller than that of Canada, for God's sake, in that vast nation. So so we will see. But I don't believe that's a wag the dog event. Anyway, so without further ado, my friends, the Mensa brother. It is Friday naturally everybody's got to hear the benson brothers everybody knows that by popular demand uh joining us from i'm not exactly sure where if i w- played a hunch it would be from southern california jeff kenney jeff how are you
3: your hunch is right man <laughs> i am in uh i'm in this this uh, cannery row type place that I live when I'm working in the, in San Clemente, and yes, I am. So
0: I think I think hanging guess. hanging around Will, right, with his better you know um, and gambler kind of aura just rubbed off on me a little bit. I got a little bit of good luck out of that. Um, joining us from McAllen, well, Texas. You're easily
3: you're you're easily influenced by bad characters.
0: Well, who I knew? <laughs> well. Will's intellect is legendary. So you can imagine, I mean, how it pumps through my computer screen and touches me. So, you know. So, anytime somebody's has that grand in, intellect, you know you're going to get touched by it at some point. So, I just thank God it was the gambling thing that kind of influenced my life.
3: You bet.
0: I mean, Jeff, you've been around Will's intellect for since what year?
3: Since 1988, and it's it, uh, let me tell you what I don't wanna make him feel good. I wish he wasn't listening, but uh it's been a it's been mostly a hugely beneficial effect. You know, so I mean we bounce a lot of shit out of each other. So it always works out pretty good.
0: So I teed that thing up and you said something nice? Do you want to, should we rewind this and do this again? I mean that is not well, what... let, let's
3: not go let's not go overboard. <laughs> he's still kind of a dick, man, you know. But Thank he's you. less of a dick than he comes across as, you know what I mean? You just gotta get to know him better. I'm
0: all. not I'm not sure, you know. The first time I heard that constant weenie quote from the lieutenants, like when I heard it, I stopped. I said, What did you say? And they thought I was pissed. I just didn't know if I heard him right. Like, sir. Yeah. And the Lieutenant's freeze. I'm like, what did you just say? Uh, I'm like, no, I just want to know, what's his nickname? Uh, Constant Weenie, sir. And I start la- <laughs> I start laughing. I start laughing. I said, you know, there's a few good nicknames out here. That is one of them. Because it's, ap- right. it's apropos. Um, joining us from McAllen, Texas is Tim Lynch. Tim, how are you?
1: Doing fine, Mac. Thanks for asking.
0: You're dressed in camouflage. Is there a reason? For that? I mean, do you have something going um, on, or what's going
1: on? No, no, no. This, this is my black rifle copy, coffee, coffee Uh, um, uh, what are we poncho liner sweatshirt. It's just, uh, it's a little cool here in in the in southern Texas, and so I'm just kind of, you know, wearing my thing. It's not like we have a lot of heat in the homes down here.
3: Admit it, you're a coyote.
1: I could be. I could be, but (laughs) not today and not in the context of (laughs) McGowan.
0: And joining us from uh, Kansas City, Kansas, a suburb of, is Will Costantini. Did I say it right?
2: No. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck
0: Fuck. I cannot say your fucking name. Say it for, for me.
2: Costantini.
0: Cost and
2: Costantini,
0: Costantini, 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 Costantini. 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 All right. So, uh, Will, how are you? Let's talk about your gambling. How How's your gambling going this year, Will?
2: This calendar year is not going all that well. To me. Uh, I had a pretty good year last year, but boy, it's uh, it's turned this year. So i'm uh you know that's the thing when you're dealing with probabilities sometimes the probabilities don't come your way and it hasn't been that way for me for four or five weeks now
0: now have you um have you heard any any quotes about luck and things like this i mean do do you uh-huh. i mean i'm sure you hear a lot of wisdom about streaks and luck sitting at a poker table but anybody throw out any gems that that you would cling to as you uh get your ass kicked? And these people claw back their, their retirement that you've been swindling for the last couple of years?
2: Uh, well, there, there is one gentleman who I play with. He is actually a former Army attack helicopter pilot, Vietnam era. And his quote is, your luck will change if money doesn't run out. So that's what I'm living <laughs> on right now. <laughs>
0: Those, That's Vi- great advice. those Vietnam veterans. They had it all going. They had it all going. What what's what do you think is the best Vietnam movie ever made? Jeffrey Jeffrey loves to go first. Nightingale? Best Vietnam movie yeah, ever made.
3: Uh the best Vietnam movie ever made. Yes. I have to say, um I have to say um, uh uh, um, a deer hunter. Oh, which really was more than a Vietnam. Movie. Yeah. It was a, book about, it was a movie about, you know, blue collar America, particularly after when I went, I went that area was right in the middle of where I was recruiting. And, uh, so I went to Clarendon where they were from and everything. I'll tell you what it, uh, all that hustle and bustle was gone by the time I got there. Just the rusted out hulks of, uh, a formerly prosperous society, you know, in the all along the Monongahela River there. places like uh Clareton and Charleroi. Charleroi incidentally is where Mitchell Page was from. He's still a national hero that part of oh. and, and they're full of those type places, you know. So uh I but I think that was the best um even though I have to tell you, the uh the the combat scenes there uh took place in Operation Lom seven nineteen which was uh, mostly air, both Marine and Army air, supporting the uh, South Vietnamese, trying to do like a South Vietnamese version of Operation Dewey Canyon, and it was disastrous. And so some guys from the 101st uh, were involved in that, and that's who, who those guys were. And I think the part that Robert De Niro was playing, he was playing either a LERP or a no-shit Special Forces guy. It was hard to tell, though, you know, because uh, there were some things about that movie that were – you know, just not realistic. Right. The fact that he had a full beard in those days—that <laughs> didn't happen, you know. And uh, right. however, you know, I mean, um, the guy who directed it, Michael Chirino, his brother was a Marine veteran of Vietnam, and uh, he was—he uh, thought the Vietnam vets got a raw deal, and hence the you know the drive behind making that movie.
0: A well, little bit, a little bit. Timmy, son of a I... v- son of a Vietnam veteran, uncle is a Vietnam veteran. Um. Wow. Best Vietnam movie ever made.
1: I, I liked The Odd Angry Shot, which was an Australian movie, which sounds kind of weird because I like Breaker Moran as my favorite movie, but I liked The Odd Angry Shot because it was a pretty straightforward, decent uh, uh, a tale of men in battle without all the political bullshit that you would find in Apocalypse Now. Or, or uh, I, I mean, I guess Hamburger Hill would be okay, but it was I, I liked The Odd Angry Shot better, better story.
2: Yeah, that was pretty good.
0: Yeah. Will.
2: Yeah, I don't know if I if there's a best. I mean, Apocalypse Now is obviously the most quotable. Um, so there's just some classic parts of that. Um, I don't know if the best. Maybe and here I'll I'll be sacrilegious. Maybe the worst was what the Ballad of the Green Berets. <laughs> John. No, Wayne. The, yeah, the Green Beret with John Wayne, made in North Carolina. Yeah. Yeah. That's sort of tough to watch. Yeah, Once you it know was, where the quotes are coming, they're, they're just classic. So. He
3: was, Francis Ford Coppola was more, was more uh, loyal to the Joseph Conrad story, Heart of Darkness, which was a river, up the river type thing that uh, Apocalypse Now was uh, based on, to include the last line, the horror, the horror, that's and the guy's name the main character was named Kurtz you know it was basically it took the heart of darkness which took place in africa in the 19th century joseph conrad's story and superimposed it on you know the uh, the mekong river valley going all the way up into uh into laos and cambodia and um so yeah it was uh and and also there is a book called dispatches by michael hare who is a journalist in vietnam and he had a lot of really great quotes. He wrote about the, the factuals part of Vietnam as seen through a drugged out journalist's <laughs> eyes. He wasn't really drugged out, but, and he wrote about the the fight for Doc to, the fight, the fight for, um, for uh, um, uh, LZ X-ray, you know, Kaysan, Hue City, all that shit. And uh, he had a lot of snazzy quotes that come, that are used in the book, in the movie Apocalypse Now. Like one of the best ones was, the kids the, the crew was just kids mainly. And this is what he was talking about, the Marines at K He goes. The Marines were mostly just kids, rock and rollers with one foot in their graves. <laughs> and uh and that so quotes like that found their way into the movie, but they were from no shit, you know, um nonfiction literature written about Vietnam. But, you know, the, and used by Francis Ford Coppola.
0: You know, I I don't know. Best is hard. I, I'm not like I'm a film critic. Yeah, you're right.
3: You're right. You shouldn't have asked that. It's your fault.
0: I know. I know. But since I <laughs> but since I did, um, I I you know I enjoyed like the until apocalypse now gets really crazy. Um, I mean I I I mean I enjoyed. It. I mean, do you remember the first time you saw it and you saw the the helicopter attack scene? I mean, oh, it was
3: amazing! Nice. I still watch that tomorrow.
0: <laughs> the, I, I, you can't. There's some scenes that you cannot watch without sitting straight up in your seat and getting fired up, and that is one of them, right? And and well, that big panoramic right. shot of all those helicopters, you know, and Robert Duvall in in that thing talking shit, <laughs> shit, and then like, and then you're watching it the first time, and they're like, you know, turn on the music, and uh, and then he. uh and 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 then they do, and you're like, what the hell, man? And I mean, that whole scene is fantastic. Um,
3: you know the- what, Mac? That was Lee Ermery's first movie. He's one of the helicopter pilots. He says, "Okay, Big Duke, we've got it spotted." <laughs> and that's Lee Ermery. And how he started out as he was in the Philippines as a medically retired staff sergeant.
0: That's that's the that's that's when they were that's when they the napalm drop, right, big. Big, yeah. Big Duke 6, we got a spot well, it.
3: That was, the Zim- that was the Zimbales. I mean, when I was there as an enlisted guy in 1980, the, the bar girls were still talking about Apocalypse because <laughs> when Francis Ford Coppola and all those fuckers blew into town, they fucking spent shitloads of money and all them, <laughs> you know. And, uh, and the Zimbali's is where they did most of that shit, including the phony napalm shot, which really just, you know, uh, gasoline uh you know um, yeah it's like the one um, we used to
0: do at the mad right, moment right, at the basic school before right, the epa right. came out and lost their shit <laughs> yeah, took, a, right. took a soil That's sample exactly what I was and lit it on yeah. fire the um uh, that um uh, full metal jacket right i mean that gets bizarre right but the whole vietnam well, era recruit training and all that shit lee ermy in that just playing himself right and all yeah. the quotes that came out of that and uh um I, I here's a question for you about apocalypse now in the movie apocalypse now what scene made the biggest what do you what scene made the biggest impression on you Jeff, jeffrey
3: that one you just taught the the helicopter taxi um I always imagine you know i grew up um uh, my parents are always listening to records and they listen to classical stuff and opera, you know, my mom. And so uh, I knew right of the Valkyrie and uh, I, I always thought that would be neat. And holy shit, here it is, you know, <laughs> and uh, and plus it's Francis Ford Coppola. He knows how to he knows how to put together an action scene, you know. And uh, so it was uh, it's thrilling to me. And like I said, I'm not bullshit. I want to motivate myself. Sometimes I put that back on. Especially there's a the part where the kid kid refuses to get out of the Huey. I'm not going. <laughs> I'm not going. This guy runs back and yanks him out, and then it shows him doing fire movement through the town right. to that music, you know. Right. And I can't tell you how many times I ran fire and movement in my head. I'm. Listen. I always. I, I, we kind of hit on it the time we we had the podcast. How somebody could take the most interesting. <laughs> fascinating and fun thing in the world and turn into a boring odyssey of pain and suffering because that's what happens at the basic school with some guys uh, you know man. they just but you know but here's this great thing and if you could evoke that in the lieutenants and make them see the sheer barbaric fun of destroying things and and you know with all the combined arms and everything that's a you know that's a. um Made, made, now I look back on it; it's a major part of our lives. Trying to do that
0: to people, yeah, you know?
3: yeah. and, 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 uh, and and make in your head, and make it in fun. Your head, you got that music playing. You know? I'll,
0: yeah. t- I'll tell you the other scene from another movie that my two sons said, "Hey, let's go see this movie." And I'm like, "What is it?" And they said, "It's called Gladiator." So we go to the theater, and I I, I think I just come back from either Iraq, Af- or Afghanistan. And, you know, we're sitting in there, and, okay, it's going to be about the Romans and blah, blah, blah. That first scene where they go into the attack, I don't know who did the technical advising for that, but they knew what they were doing. I'm sitting yeah. in there. I start those watching are, it.
3: Those guys are pretty old.
0: <laughs> well, and then they're like, I mean, but they 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 act like they they've gone to war a million times, right, strength and honor, and they're standing in there. You know, they're getting ready. Everybody's doing their shit, and you're watching it. Going, holy shit, man! Right, and then you know he forms up his little cavalry thing, and they ride off, and then archers and they shoot the flames. Yeah. Then they fire the uh the what the oysters. O- yeah the Alistons. the Alistons. Yeah. yeah the oil soaked hay, and that shit goes going, yeah. and then and then they t- then they go into the attack, and you're like, oh, like so. I was I was just leaning back in my seat, like sitting watching, and then <laughs> pretty soon. I have my elbows on my knees, right? My chin, of, my chin on my fingers, and my sons are <laughs> looking at me, going, "What the fuck's going on?" He's, but I, I'll tell you what, I love that scene in Gladiator. I love that scene in Gladiator. Well, Tim,
3: that's another one I watch. I watch to motivate myself. You're absolutely right,
0: <laughs> Tim. Uh, the part of uh, Apocalypse Now, maybe that's stuck in your head.
1: Well, unfortunately, the only thing I really remember right now, at the top of my head, is that damn helicopter scene, which of course everybody remembers. And and when I saw it for the first time, I was in Bethesda. I was a corpsman, and I was with a couple other corpsmen, and we're watching that thing. And I leaned over to them and said, "Shit, we're in the wrong place, man." And they're like, "You might be in the wrong place. I'll never do that." They were appalled. <laughs> but that's but that really is is. Right off, is, is about all I do remember of that thing. That and of course the famous "Charlie Don't Surf," which is something that the <laughs> First Marine Regiment used to say constantly when I was a lieutenant. You'd hear that all the time. "Hey, Surf, Charlie Don't Surf." And that's about the only two things I remember from that movie.
0: Got it. Well,
2: yeah. see. Um, yeah, I mean, how can you argue, how can you argue with that? But you know, another scene. Do you remember the first twenty minutes in Saving Private Ryan? The first time you <laughs> saw. Oh, no, that was good. No, yeah, that's absolutely right. That I was, didn't like the movie overall. I just I think the message of the movie is terrible. Um, but that first twenty minutes is, uh, I mean, and I saw it in the theater the first time. Me too. Me so too. Big mm-hmm. screen, big sound. Um, you know, your your blood pressure is uh, up like one hundred eighty over uh, <laughs> one forty, and your pulse is about one hundred and forty. You saw that first one, yeah. I gotta admire
3: though the, uh, the attention to detail in all these movies we're talking to, about, oh. um, because uh, that was good. Like uh, Saving Private Ryan, uh, both the D-Day scene and also the fight in the town where they had the tiger
0: yeah. and the
3: Panther tank.
0: Holy shit!
3: And the uh, and the effects of the weapon systems on people. You know,
0: yeah. it was
3: and the way and you guys, all of us now know, and I don't know how many of us knew then, probably nobody. Yeah. But when I first saw Saving Private Ryan, it was just like it sounded when I was getting shot at in Liberia. And I never saw that in a movie ever until then. That fucking noise of, uh, you know, when 762 is cracking over your head. And, you, uh, you know,
0: even, I my son's <laughs> I think that's what we were watching. No, we were watching Band of Brothers.
3: Another great one, right?
0: Mm-hmm. And I mean, the same people make it, right? And uh, and the first time, I remember feeling un- uncomfortable because of the sounds. And wh- oh. I think Patrick looked at me. and said, "What's wrong?" I'm like, "Dude, that's that's what it sounds like, right? Yeah, that's exactly." Right. I mean, the cr- Jeff said, "Cracking over your head." You never heard that kind of stuff. And I mean, the the and I will tell you what: if you go back and you watch. Band of Brothers and Pacific, um, if you look at all the nuanced uh, mental health stuff you see in there, you know, from uh, Dick Winters constantly reflecting on shooting when he takes off in front of the company, right, and he goes over that road, right, mm-hmm. and that, that young German soldier's, what, is he brushing his teeth and he turns in it and he's in his he's in great coat, right, and he looks like he's about 18, 19, right, and his eyes get big and Winter shoots him twice in the chest. And then he's, he, he's, he's typing when they're by that river and they're work, trying to do river crossings. He's typing the after action report for that. And he keeps seeing it in his head. There's all these little things in Pacific. One of the scenes, uh, the scene I show in Post Traumatic wedding about faking it is right at the end when, when um, Gene Sledge comes home. And he's, uh, his dad wants him to go hunting and he doesn't want to go because he's afraid if they shoot something and it's not a clean kill and the animal thrashes, he's going to see all his friends, right? But he doesn't want to bum his dad out, so he's, you know, I'll fake it. And uh, you watch him. He gets out of the truck really slow, and he's walking, and then he has a panic attack. And um, and you look at this guy, and, and and when his father turns, his father's walking in front of him on this trail. When his father turns, he he rotates the barrel of his shotgun to 12 o'clock, as he turns to walk to his son, and I and I and I see that I'm like, look at the fucking detail, man. Yeah. What they're they if you know they're showing people you know that the, the muzzle awa- awareness of these experienced hunters, right? And you're looking at that, and you're watching nuanced mental health stuff, and then I I, I those things are. Done. I'll tell you the, the scene in Apocalypse now that that made me uncomfortable. Um, they're running a medevac. Um. And, and the girl throws the the grenade girl throws the, the, the great grenade in the hat into the helicopter. The helicopter explodes, and there's a black soldier now that's laying on the that that patio area, and he is screaming. His thighs split open, and he is screaming. Now that stands in stark contrast to John Wayne in the Sands of Iwo Jima when he gets shot and he kind of tips over, and everybody reads the letter, right, and then we go up the hill. You know, it's. It, I'd never seen that, and I went. I remember watching that, going, "Wow, that looks like that would be what would happen." And it's it, and it's not very pleasant to see. And I remember that's one of the scenes that is always stuck in my head. That guy screaming after that uh, grenade goes off in the helicopter. That's a, well,
3: it's funny, you know. It's like it's. Um... When you first started talking about that helicopter crash when you're out at 29 Palms yeah. and the guys got killed, I'm thinking, you know, it reminded me of something. And uh, it in uh, 1990, uh, 19, 1990, we were getting ready for our second Mew. And I was the XO of Lima Company, the job Will had for our first float. And uh, we had a family day out there at Hospital Point at uh, at uh, Camp Lejeune, and uh, we had two guys, and one of the guys was married, Corporal and Lance Corporal. They got a boat from the little marina there. They went out, and I'm looking, and uh, you know we're getting ready to c- close this thing down. The company commander I had then was not as um, he was not as uh, effective as a fir- as a company commander. Will and I had. And uh, so he needed a lot of backup, you know. And uh, so I'm watching over everything. And uh, I see these two. I said to the second lieutenant, hey, go down there and and, uh, make sure that that's okay. And he took off. The guy that took over second platoon for me. And I'm watching. And one of the guys in the boats, it's a canoe. He stands up and he goes into the water. It's a couple hundred yards away. So I knew that was a problem. I had My family was in my van. I told my wife, drive me down to the – to the marina. I drove down there, I jumped in the motorboat with the guy and with the marina guy. We drove out there and both it was uh you might remember this guy, Will Purple Strickle, one of Joe's yeah. guys. Yeah. And uh, Lance Corporal Glazer, who you don't remember cuz he got there after you left. And uh, and the wife was sitting there, Filipino American, stunned. And I remember looking at the water, there's just four um, flip-flops floating in the water there. So I'm like, "What the fuck, man?" So I just aimed between the flip flops and I dove in. And by a miracle, I got one of them. I got Glazer. I pulled him up, and uh, the other guy, his name is Lieutenant Ferris, yanked him in the boat. And I'm diving and diving and diving for like a, before I know it, there's a fifty three over the, over us, you know. And they're they're everyone. It's like a major operation. I never said I never found Strickle. He drowned. And not only did he drown, he didn't come up. He came up down the river a couple of miles, like five, six days later, I never saw him. And for the next, and then we, we went to, uh, this is like June or something of 1990. And we went to, uh, we, we did a normal deployment, but right as we were leaving, Saddam had invaded Iraq and the Liberia thing kicked off. So we went straight to Liberia and, uh, and then, and the deployment got elongated to, to get beyond the whole desert storm thing. And, uh, but I'll tell you, I, I would, um, until we left, I'd be in the mall with my wife and stuff. And I swear to God, I would see Strickle from behind. And I'd be walking up fat and my heart would be pounding. And I'd and be on another Marine, you know, the Jacksonville Mall. And, uh, and it wouldn't be him. And then when I came back, I, I didn't have any of that feeling anymore. Because I think in my mind, I realized that it's impossible. You know, it finally came home to me. It was impossible that, uh, you know, it could be him but it's funny the what your mind does to you when you don't see you know um you know, you're looking for a guy who's gone and you don't actually see his body uh you know I, I i kept imagining i was i'd see this guy from behind always from behind if you remember him he was a he, well he was kind of like a he was a very good marine but uh he was kind of he's real uh relaxed you know remember i think he was one of the yeah. super squad guys he might not have been but uh you know, because remember, Captain Ratliff spread out those super squad guys in all three of the p- rifle teams, and uh, and he was one of them, I think. But uh, yeah, it was it was. Uh, and I remember this just hit me like this week, you know. And I, I think the reason I didn't remember it before is because some of much other shit happened so fast, you know. And uh, you know, but so I don't know how I I, I probably I. I kind of hijacked this thing I, i'm sorry but uh <laughs> joe rutledge joe rutledge is coming down here um next week Ooh. wait a minute the 22nd him and tracy are coming and uh and so and john Bilas is coming down with, with his wife and uh and then me because uh, my wife's in vegas so i'm gonna be like the odd man out you know but uh so yeah i'm gonna talk to joe about it but uh that was amazing you know the uh Cause I know that every time Mac would, it would come up, I'd be like, this reminds, I mean, I feel bad because it makes me sound like I don't give a shit, you know, but I just didn't remember, you know, um, you know, about this, you know, it's just, uh, and, but all this talking about these movies and how they evoke like memories. Cause they're masterfully done. It kind of brings it out. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah. No, no, without a doubt. The um, I have not followed current events, um, because I've been speaking, um, and so I've kind of been in the cone of silence of that. Um, I saw Timmy uh, in an email exchange about something Dan Lamoth wrote about Afghanistan. Tim, you want to? I don't know if everybody read that. Did everybody see it? Um,
1: I I sent, I sent you guys a uh, um, a link to an Atlantic Monthly article. That was very very long and very detailed, going into the uh, the Kabul evacuation, and 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 it, it appears that things were even worse than we said they were while we were doing it live during the during that that time period that uh, that we could not possibly have guessed at exactly how unorganized and how batshit crazy that place was, and apparently. From reading between the lines of the article, the only SIV and good Afghan visa holders that got through that things were 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 bought in by Marines or paratroopers working in conjunction with people off site. Um, very similar to what happened when, when I when, when we got that uh, that 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 uh, my friend's wife and his children back, if you'll remember back then, the two American speaking right. kids. It, it turned out that was an ad hoc operation that was facilitated not by me, but by the owner of CADG, God bless him, who has a lot of, of, of uh, WASA in Afghanistan. But every one of those SIV, the, of the decent Afghans that came in, seemed to have been bought in by by ad hoc groups of Marines and, and, and paratroopers working for, with the help from back home. And so it is a long and detailed uh, uh, explanation of an abject failure, an abject failure on our part, and it was uh, it was interesting that Atlantic Monthly, of all places, would put that uh, put that out because that magazine had gone from very interesting reading when I was a young man to I can't even tolerate it because it's just all woke nonsense bullshit. But that article was not. Who wrote it? I I will tell you here in just a second. Let me pull it up because I got it right here on my computer. It was called Joe Biden's Saigon by oh wait a second i gotta (laughs) i've i've used too much of atlantic monthly for free this month let me go to another browser here so i can see who the hell wrote it and it's by george packer george true george packer
0: packer have you do you know have you heard of him do Do not never heard of him does is there a synopsis of who of who he is at the bottom
1: No, no, no. But let
3: me see
1: if right. wait a second. Got, Will, a Will, Will, sorry.
0: or Jeff? Did you re- Did you read that article?
3: No, but I have to tell you the the uh, the current guy who just took over the, the advisor training branch is the battalion commander two one who was there that day, and uh, he and me he and I were talking about the investigation that Chris Douglas and other folks did, and it was it was suicide vest that did that and. Uh, it, the it, it was a it, the explosion was such that uh it was the guy was packed with uh ball bearings and so when it looked like these guys had gunshot wounds because they thought they were gunshot wounds at first too they weren't they were just ball bearings from this uh tremendous uh suicide vest this, this guy had and uh and and uh and, and some other stuff you know that uh I want to talk to him before I tell you guys about it, but he is a outstanding Marine officer. His name is uh Lieutenant Colonel oh. Whited. And, uh, he went through, uh, IOC in between the time that, uh, we were captains there. And I was a the director there like 97 or something like that. Oh. But, uh, you know, he, uh, very good guy. And, uh, yeah. you know, but he, he, he pretty much backs up what Timmy's saying about, and, and the, and the confusion and the, uh, since even though uh, a lot of people were evacuated, there were just sheer numbers of fucking people crowded out there just to make it look like we were evacuating a lot of people. But damn few of them were people who uh, were no shit vetted and, and, uh, and identified as people who were helping the United States war effort against the Taliban, just like Timmy was saying. They're just anybody who showed up. And that's why you know we got all these child molesters and shit like that popping up from uh, the refugee camps.
1: Yeah, and, and I just looked up uh, – there's a link to, to his name. So uh, this guy's not former military, but but listen to his, his articles he's wrote. The Betrayal, which is what we're just talking about. Are we doomed from the January issue? Escape from Afghanistan on August 23rd. Are we
0: doomed? Is
1: Are we doomed? Is to he... head off the next Will?
0: insurrection. Will, are, in you, are, you, are you working with him, Will?
1: No, but we are doomed. <laughs>
0: yeah, and then he's
1: got <laughs> – He's got nothing but Afghanistan. Every month he writes about Afghanistan, and this is what you'll like about him the most. His article in June thirtieth, twenty twenty one, was How Rumsfeld deserves to be remembered. America's worst Secretary of Defense never expressed a quiver of regret. That's the tagline. So he's
3: he's here, writing here, a lot right, about here, Afghanistan.
0: Here, here, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, you know will, with him
3: on that. I have to tell you something about Will this there's no hope thing. Because I know now where it comes from. When we were lieutenants <laughs> and then later captains, we'd go to dinner with each other's wives, right? We'd go out. And the the female logic of why you do stuff would sometimes come out. And I would say, there's no hope for humanity. And Will would laugh. So I think his version of there's no hope for humanity is we're doomed, you know?
0: So you Remember sta- that, Will? Are you saying that Will... Is knocking off your line, and he's just kind of. That's exactly
1: what he said. Will's not. He's no, recycling material. Think
3: he's doing I, I mean, I said Will, it all Will, the fucking time. Will plagiarized your line? No, I wouldn't say that,
0: but, you know, I am
3: an influential motherfucker. Let's just
0: face it. <laughs>
2: hey, back to content. Yes. You know, they've, re- they've released this 2,000 page army investigation on Afghanistan. And uh, here's the money line. During an August 6th meeting, a National Security Council official appeared, uh, who is not identified in the report, appeared to lack a sense of urgency and told others involved that if the United States had to execute an evacuation. It would signal we have failed. Brigadier General Farrell Sullivan recalled. In, in Outstanding his, guy, by the way. Yeah. And then the quote yeah. is In my opinion, the NSC was not seriously planning for an evacuation. August sixth unbelievable they did not want to give the appearance and so the politics of the situation uh, and the appearances allowed them to be overwhelmed and look that's a straight line from that meeting to 13 dead guys that's an yep. absolutely straight line right there yep. yeah, and agree. uh you know the other thing i learned from this report um and I'm not, this is a, you know, it's a news report of it, so I don't know. So Navy Rear Admiral Peter Vasily, the top U.S. commander on the ground during the operation. So I don't know how we get a Navy Rear Admiral. Maybe, maybe he was a See, seal. He was
1: See, he was the SEAL that took over from yeah. Miller.
2: Okay. Yeah. That would make sense to me. Mm-hmm. In some ways, although the preponderance of the force would make you think uh, something different. But he said... Um, military personnel would have been much better prepared to conduct a more orderly evacuation if policymakers had paid attention to the indicators of what was happening on the ground so i guess this 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 report uh, may be something uh, well will but it ain 't getting a lot of press i have to tell you
3: will two one was the gce for phil um for, yeah, for phil, phil you lang. know Phil lang you know he it was those are his guys and phil's command element was highly fucking effective and uh they were like made uh irrelevant by all the you know in my opinion useless layers to include like the you know donahue the you know the last guy out of uh you know afghanistan and all this shit you had a lot of chiefs and uh and they couldn't come up with anything better than the chaos of uh you know that 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 occurred there
0: absolutely could you imagine the neos that you did if, I mean, you guys were involved in what two or three? Between yeah, between you.
3: I mean, yeah, Will you... did. Will did Sierra Leone, which was our safe haven for Liberia, you know, and uh, and I did two Liberias.
0: So, uh, could you imagine if you had to do that with the, that the media coverage, and then once you get the media coverage, you get all the pol- the uh, you know, you know, Secretary yeah. Blinken, and you get. Uh, Who's that? Who's the spokesman over at the Pentagon? That guy. God, oh, my. Kirby. Oh, man. Yeah,
2: retired. Navy. He's pretty bad. Rear Admiral Kirby. He came in with Mullen. He was yeah, Mullen's he... guy when Mullen was the CNO, and he came down to the joint staff.
0: Yeah, he's the so Obama dude, man. Oh, man. I, you know what? Public affairs. I mean, give me a break. For, look, that guy doesn't know anything. He's standing there telling you shit. Okay, why are you asking him questions? I, I, he it just irritates me. Um, okay, what else? What else are we tracking on? And that that Afghanistan story, it makes me feel bad. It's yeah. it's it's a shitty, shitty, shitty story. And the more we find out about it, the shittier it gets.
1: And there's hundreds of Americans there still.
3: Yeah, and you know, Mac, I don't know if you if you're interested, but I could ask. Uh... If he'd be interested in you doing an interview with him, but, you know, if he could, I don't know if he could, it seems like he could, you know, if it's done right, and you, you're skillful enough to not put him in a bad way, but, uh,
0: yeah, you, you <laughs> can ask him, you know, most of the time active duty guys, I mean, they won't say anything, yeah. you know, they're horrible interviews, right. you know, so you got to get yeah. retired guys like us that'll come on and, and, you know, and say something and, and at least explain it. Yeah. I, I watched, um, the F-35 hit the back of. Oh,
3: um, Yeah. Yeah, new shit. Yeah, oh, and
0: so yeah, and so I watched a bunch of old like, you know, tail hookers analyze it, and they were talking about, you know, that 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 system is now almost completely automated, mm-hmm. right? And how busy it used to be. You know, you made the turn, you're calling the ball, all the all the shit we've seen in the movies and shit. Um, yeah, and uh, and they talked about how the aircraft now. Um, Automatically compensate for one movement by the pilot uh, in terms of thrust and all kinds of stuff, and uh, and but I I think I saw something that said that the pilot had shut that system off and, but they said that was probably in response to some maybe some other failure so right uh, for right. yeah more new more news to follow but I mean honestly uh, when something like that happens on the flight there I mean I spent two years on the USS Ranger and. Um, watching that stuff on a daily basis was I, I i never got tired of watching it you watch those you know those those aircraft come in and you know catch a wire and then when something goes wrong uh we had to, we had to catch one of our A6s a marine A6 uh, one night in the northern pacific and the seas were really high <clears throat> the A6 package gets launched to tank the F14s You know that were going and doing something, and then they then they had to you know extend their legs. So the A sixes went to tank them and then came back. Well, when he launched, um, the emergency brake on his landing gear on launch was locked. I think due to a mechanical malfunction, he released it. It did not release, but the indicator went off, and so when they launch him. The landing gear, the tires aren't moving. The landing gear blows out, and so he's got to land with he's two wheels. And so they're rigging the barricade. And I was doing something, all, and you know how they have that on all the time. The you know on the TVs in in the ships, you you don't have the <laughs> flight deck ops on. Or it's one of the channels you can watch. So that always tended to be on in you know in the Mardet area. And so I walked by and I look, and they're rigging the barricade at night. That white mesh, striped thing. And I look and I'm like, holy shit, what's going on? And they're like, <clears throat> one of the A sixes, sir. It's gonna, it's gonna come and and go, come belly in. And you're and you sit there, and you and you watch that. And I will never forget it. Uh, the captain's name was McNally, callsign Rand, uh, a marine captain. <laughs> yeah, <a> marine <laughs> captain that that I knew, you know, because you eat with them in the wardroom and shit. And uh, and he comes in and he sticks it. And, but, I mean, he's got no gear down, and he goes skidding across, you know, the flight deck, hits that, that, that net, goes up on his nose, and then cants to one side and comes back. And I swear to God, that plane wasn't stopped. It was still between 90 degrees and 45 degrees on its way down, and there were Navy crash guys jumping on it. I mean, just, I mean... You, I mean, those guys. I mean, you talk about huge, huge balls, man. You're watching it, and they're cranking him out, and they know that the big danger there is fire, right? Fuel leak, fire. <laughs> he genicided most of his fuel, still had some, and they've got the they're foaming it, and all this craziness, and you see him pop out, and then you see them get everybody away, and you just watch it. And you're like, wow. And I saw him later that night, um, and I said, hey, I said, how are you doing? And he goes. He goes you know, I was so busy, I didn't have time to even think about it. he said, but i after after the air boss got done with me, I went down to my room and I puked in the sink <laughs> <laughs> he did he said but he said but but while you know while I was up there you know so busy trying to you know figure out what we how how this worked and what we had to do and and everything he said I really didn't have time to to react uh until I got back here to my room and then it was like you know if i if he said if I'd have fucked it up he said, "We go into the water at night, we're dead." I said, "Well, nice wow. going, man." I said, "You stuck the shit out of it," and he just looked at me. and goes, "Thank fucking God, <laughs> thank God." You know, I mean, so yeah, was- you watch that stuff, man. That's uh, and then you know what? Seven guys were injured, and that was by the debris that went that got fired across the flight deck.
1: Right. Yeah, because they staged himself to go rush the plane. That's just straight out ballsy,
0: man. No, but no. Did they? Because he hadn't declared an emergency, I don't think. Right? Well, you said when
1: he's landing, if 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 the debris from when he's landing hit, he would have. And they already have the barricades up.
2: I imagine. Oh no no, got no no no, no no!
0: No, I'm talking about the F thirty five. Seven seven guys oh, were injured. Me, I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. No, seven guys were injured on the F thirty five, which was debris that went across the flight deck as guys are working on aircraft and the LSO guys, right? The uh, the the yellow you know shirts that are the flight deck directors and shit like that. And, uh, but it, evidently none of them had life-threatening injuries. And that's, uh, that's by the grace of God, man, because you don't need a whole lot at that speed to whack a knee off or, or cut did your you.
1: Did you ever see the film of the kid that got sucked into the engine on one of those flight decks?
0: No. What the hell was that? No, I heard. Yeah. About it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You, go, I, I saw the footage. He gets sucked into the engine and all these sparks come out from his hard hat and they <laughs> throw the kid back out and he was, I mean, he wasn't okay, but he wasn't dead. I think he would, I think he was pretty shaken up, but that hardhead saved his ass. Unbelievable! No, but he already sparks coming out the back of the engine. I, what the hell was it? it? Might have been an ace. I can't remember.
0: There's, I can't you know, remember. you hear I, you hear urban legends from aircraft carriers, and you mm-hmm. think, come on, but these guys are flight deck guys. Uh, I, one of them I heard was something got launched with its wings not extended. <laughs> and they and they and and wow. they and, and and they landed it. It came back around. They landed it. And I'm like, come on. Ah. I mean, but this is before YouTube. I, I will tell you though, the most riveting video I've ever seen of flight deck stuff is the forest all fire. Yeah.
4: And yeah. if you if, if, sees if that. yeah
0: if you if you've never seen that, if you want to see courage.
4: Yeah.
0: Um. I mean, bombs are exploding on the flight deck, and and these guys are running towards the the explosions and yeah. all they got is their dungarees and their little turtleneck on and there's their, their vest. And you're just like, and it happens three different times. There's I, I want to say three big explosions and you're just like, yeah. wow.
3: And then there, some of the bombs fell into the, uh, hangar, the hangar deck from the yeah. holes in the, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. And then, and McCain's in the, just in the infirmary or the dispensary, They pulled him out of his uh, plane. His plane's the one that had the inadvertent, uh, Zuni yeah, rocket right. get fired, you know, and, uh, he, uh, he got hurt, not real bad, but he's watching it it's a, they had just put in the first closed circuit TV on that aircraft carrier on the forestall. Yeah. And, um uh, 'cause cause that was in Nightingale song, the book. Um, that was, yeah, that's something. Yeah.
0: Real quick. Any thoughts on, uh, Russia v Ukraine, Timmy, any thoughts on what you've seen this week? Kind of,
1: <laughs> i I'm, I'm, no, I'm underwhelmed by our response. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of saber rabbling going on by us for reasons un- unknown. I mean, you know, if if you look at at what Russia's case is in 2014, the Ukraines overthrew a democratic elected thug. I mean, the guy was bad, and I mean, he they he, he shot like hundreds of people uh, uh, in the in the middle of that damn protest. I mean, they were horrible about it, Ukrainian on Ukrainian. But um, but so Putin can can say, hey, we had a democratically elected guy that was thrown out and now I've got nothing but uh, uh, anti-Russian phobes on my border. or something. You can almost see his case, but I don't think he's going to go in. I don't think sending the army guys over to to uh, Romania is a good idea, particularly if they're married. It will be bad for the troops morale at home because Romania's nice, man.
0: Ah, that's easy, I mean, could you
1: easy, imagine, easy. Could you a easy Holy speculating
0: shit. on the moral character of our fine service oh, yeah, I'm members. Sorry.
1: Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not. I, I, I am sticking to my gun saying hey, Putin's not going to do a thing, and we are continue to to around, fail, flail around, and look almost as effective as the comedian prime minister. And that's hard to do to top that son of a bitch.
0: Got it. So, well, that's what it is. Any new thoughts on?
2: I I thought I saw something this week where I think it was Blinken, you know, talked about the great diplomatic effort led by the president to, uh, (laughs) you know, get all of the allies on board and that that has deterred the Russians. I thought I saw something like that. So,
0: um, Uh, obviously going, going on below the, below the waterline.
2: The only other yeah. threads you see are Ukrainians saying what's all the fuss about, Exactly. Yeah. you know? So I, yeah. I think any energy that any of us have wasted on this was exactly that.
0: Exactly. Right.
2: Spent on other things.
0: Jeffrey, yeah. Jeffrey, any new, yeah. th- any new um, thought?
2: Yes, there is a new and,
3: and piercingly clear thought. Um, when Will was talking last week or the week before about the fact that, uh, so what? There's 100,000 troops in the border. I mean, you know, that's not that in that huge expanse. He's right. It's not that big of a deal. And uh, I think what this is, is, uh, you know how they always say, we don't know how many. Uh, it's like a it's like a it's like a version of the of the uniform police theory. Uniformed cops are there. So crime doesn't happen you can't really quantify that because nothing happened. And the same thing with like when the Mew would show up, there'd be problems in uh, like in Morocco or, you know, in, in uh, Mauritania or Liberia the Mew hoves in the view and any threats against the embassy kind of get quieted down because to the, to the broke dicks there who are causing trouble, it looks like D-Day, you know what I mean? With the planes flying and stuff. So it's hard to quantify. What did you really do? And so the, The corrupt side of that is when you, by by a lot of uh, blowhardness, you say that there's this big problem and there's this threat of imminent invasion. And then you do all these, you know, you make all these gyrations and you make empty speeches and stuff. And then you say that that's the reason why the invasion that was never intended to happen, didn't happen. It's like putting a, it's like putting triple stand concertina wire around, uh, Pike's Peak and saying that you caught a mount- mountain mountain. it wasn't for us, it would have got away. It never going anyway. It's not gonna be an invasion anyway, you know? It's all bullshit. To make up for the fact of the horrible performance in Afghanistan a couple months ago.
0: Uh, to me the um what Mr. Macron went to did he go to Moscow? Did he go to Moscow? I don't know, they met. I could see Vladimir Putin um dealing with macron um and telling him i will deal with you we will de-escalate this thing i don't want the americans any part of it to kind of empower the anti-american sentiment in in europe because i i think that's ultimately um
1: did, did you see the picture of those two no they seem to be sitting at a at a table where macron's on one end putin's on the other it's got to be 30, 40 yards separated. There's nobody else sitting on the table. They're just talking to each other down this thing that looks like they're on either side of a football field. It's the weirdest thing ever. I don't know if it's an anti-COVID thing or he doesn't like French people. I don't know, but it was weird. Who, who
3: could blame him? Yeah.
1: You're muted, Will. You're muted. Who could
3: blame either of them? <laughs>
2: you know, Yeah, don't forget, they're not really big on bathing.
0: Well well said. Well said. Jeffrey, what are you reading? Okay. Based
3: on Timmy coming up with that Stephen Hunter book, I read because my Kindle's on the Fritz in the basement here, I found a bunch of us. I got a shitload of Stephen Hunter books. So I read two of them. I burned right through them. (laughs) The first one I read was um, Dirty White Boys, which was in 1996, which is a great book about these these guys who break out of prison and they go on this crime spree. And, uh, and what happens is the guy is so bad. The head guy, Lamar Pye is his name. P Y E. They're like a uh, Aryan brotherhood motorcycle gang types, but uh, they get into people's lives and kind of um, force them to, uh, you know, come to terms with their, with uh, things that are going on in their lives. So and it's, it's got a lot of good gun shit in it. It's just an entertaining read for sure. Then the other one was called Hot Springs. And it's, uh, you know how the, the character that Mark Wahlberg played there, the sniper thing, it's based on Bob Lee, who's a Vietnam veteran sniper kind of in the mold of uh, Halfcock, Carlos Halfcock. But his dad is uh, Earl Swagger, and he's a World War II Marine vet who's got the Medal of Honor from Iwo Jima and and he joined the Marine Corps in 1928 or something was in Nicaragua and all this shit and he gets out of the Marine Corps as a first sergeant after winning the Medal of Honor and he's involved in this uh, gets gets recruited to be in this kind of like untouchables outfit to clean up Hot Springs Arkansas which was run at that time by a New York gangster who ran away from New York to avoid going to jail, Irish guy named, uh, Oney Madden. And so it's a, it's a dramatization of that. And, uh, the, uh, he runs into Bugsy Siegel <laughs> and I just kind of described the scene, Bugsy Siegel on the trains, the train they're waiting, they're waiting for a train to come in, Bugsy Siegel and Virginia Hill, the famous girlfriend of Bugsy Siegel. And she starts flirting with this guy, this master sergeant who's like 35 years old you know, retired and uh, Bugsy Siegel comes up and gets in his face a little bit and says, you know how many guys I've killed? I've killed 16 guys. How many have you killed motherfucker? He gets right in his face. So feeling that his, his privacy is being invaded. Um, Earl Swagger punches him like with the gun, gunny Don Vito fucking left hand to the body, which makes him puke and fall on the ground. Right. He goes, yeah, I I bet you're one of these gang guys who kills people. You know, I kill people who come at me with combined arms and aircraft, you know, artillery, bonsai swords. These are guys who are really trying to kill me. They're trying to fight you. You're shooting people who are sitting there on the park bench, looking at the newspaper, thinking about the ball game. And uh, and so, <laughs> and Virginia Hill later says she's talking to these other people. She says, "Yeah, our hero here." That's how she refers to Ben Ben Siegel. She runs into the. He runs into this cowboy on the train tracks, and the guy hits him so hard he almost goes bald, <laughs> which I thought was a, a great line. He, because I've been hit hard enough sometimes where I thought I was going to go bald, you know, mainly by Gunny Don Vito, as a matter of fact, you know. But uh, so it was just a, a great couple of books, and there's like thirty of them by this guy Stephen Hunter, and they're not just action books. The guy's got a lot of good insight into historical things that. Um, We talk about, you know, everything from the Pacific battles to Vietnam stuff, you know, all the way up into, uh, you know, the you know, the 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 current events of the day and so forth. So it's good.
0: Got it. Tim, what are you
1: reading? I'm still on with zeal and bayonets only. The British Army on campaign in North America, 75 to 83, 1775. And that's that is again, that's the campaign. Campaigns in Commander series. This is number nineteen in that series. And 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 it's I didn't do it it, it, I don't think I did a good job trying to explain how good this book is because the way it's broken out, it's 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 I'm reading stuff I didn't know. For instance, the the second chapter is operational constraints. So you know the Brits definitely wanted to have their artillery with them when they're up against the colonials because the artillery kind of dampens everybody's enthusiasm. But when you're talking artillery and, and and the other stuff that go in your supply train, and you have to understand that a horse eats 50 pounds of dry feed or or 25 pounds, excuse me, 25 of dry or 50 pounds of wet feed a day every horse, then you start and you're going into the interior of the continent where there's no roads, no maps, nobody really knows much. It gives you an idea of, of, of how hard it was for those guys to try to move in any any manner with which they were accustomed, according to their regulations, and the book goes over through its from operational constraints. It goes into marching deployment, motivation, how to com- commanding the battalion, firepower, the purpose of the bayonet charge, and all these things. And what it explains is how the British Army, and and it was and it was mainly Clinton. Clinton was the smart one of of the British generals. How they adapted to warfare in North America, and by the end of the warfare period claimed to be as good their light their light companies to be as good as any any uh, of the uh, what did they call them not the rebels the uh, the hooligans oh I'm sorry I'm forgetting the, the the disparaging word they called the continentals but um you, you know they they were able to match him and and towards the end of the world war even started the uh, deploying rifles so it's I didn't know much about the civil war uh, excuse me the revolutionary war not nearly as much as I know about the civil war obviously and I'm finding this Quite entertaining because, you know, when you study the Revolutionary War and the only time I've read a a, a good bit about it is by Rick Atkins, who still hasn't come out with the second volume yet. But his first volume is a very, very sobering reading because, you know, we were pretty much getting our asses kicked for two years straight. I mean, not even close. But the fact that Washington kept the army, the army in the field out of the British clutches, uh, meant that ultimately victory would be ours because of, of the the time and space constraints of trying to operate in, in America. But it's it's pretty interesting how the Brits did, in fact, uh, adopt pretty well and started to figure out uh, how to best to combat the Americans. At the same time, the Americans started figuring out how to use artillery. And uh, and and of course, they never stood in, in a linear formation. They would put their riflemen in a linear formation and they they'd fall back and then they would fall back another one then the main line would be the third like in cow pens. that was how the Americans finally got around to 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 matching the Brits in the firepower thing so it's an interesting read for stuff that you know that you, you just don't know and it's it's interesting about the motivation it's interesting on how they marched uh, and and marched so so far it's interesting that the Brits would run past the Germans in the attack cuz the Germans they would not run into the attack they marched the cannon fire, we charge the bayonet. That was it for the Germans. It's interesting. I, I Stuff I never knew.
0: Well, what are you reading?
2: Uh, I finished that uh, Dupuy and Dupuy book Whoa. about compact. No, not that one. Oh. <laughs> the compact history of the revolution. And, uh, yeah, it's very good. You can see that Rick Atkinson book series is, is better because of the depth. But <laughs> these guys say in the beginning of the book, this is the compact history. So, um, I don't know, it's three, 400 pages. I would recommend it to anyone who doesn't know about much about the revolution. The ideal, I forget the name of the other one, the ideological, uh, something of the revolution. I'm continuing to march through it. It's uh, it, you know, some, some things, this one, the Pulitzer prize and the Bancroft prize in like 1966 or 68. Hmm. So the Bancroft Prize, I'm pretty sure, is given for history. Um, the idea, and now if you look at books that win the Bancroft Prize, they're much more akin to, you know like the the series of books that Atkinson writes. You know, more narrative history for a wider audience. This thing is this is this would be a textbook in a master's or a PhD program. I mean, it's it's dense and there's depth. And, you know, hundreds and hundreds of footnotes. But, um, you know, the ideas behind uh, why the revolution, although they say about a third of the colonists were revolutionary, about a third were loyalists, and about a third didn't care. But the third that were revolutionaries had, you know, significant... Political thought behind why they were revolutionaries. And uh, so the book lays that out. And then I subscribed to a thing called City Journal. It's from the Manhattan Institute and uh, comes out once a quarter. So I got that this week. So I read it. You know, it's like a 120 page magazine and articles on all kinds of different stuff, but it's sort of a uh, conservative political think tank. Manhattan Institute, and uh, I've you know six, eight, ten page articles. I just find them really, yeah, you know, they're very well done. Like Heather McDonald, you know, she often writes about police type things. Yeah, she's really she's a, good. Yeah, she's, yeah, she's on she's... there, you know, and she has an article in this month. And so, uh, it's not expensive. I I mean, I think an issue is six fifty. So I'm sure a year costs what about twenty five bucks. Um, And some of it is a little bit New York City centric. There's an article about de Blasio, which is actually interesting. But I I would recommend that to people who are just uh, looking for something that, you know, can spur your thoughts or give you some insight on different things. It's not flash in the pan Internet. You know, these are genuine scholars that are writing. It's well written and researched uh, opinion type stuff.
0: So, before we came on, I said, we're going to do about 45 or 50 minutes. Those were the longest fucking book fucking recommendations you've ever done in your entire... That shit started 15 fucking minutes ago, girls. What the fuck? Hey, hey.
2: The reason I believe this <laughs> to the, the end fuck? is because this is what the people want.
0: I know, they but have. I just <laughs> wanted you did. to give it to them in a little bit shorter frame, so I could go to fucking bed. Okay, let me give you a let me give you a, let me give you a quote. And I'll tell you what I read. Paul Newman quote: "A man with no enemies is a man of no character." Okay, so there you go. give that Hey, give that some thought. Will that's what all salad
3: makers <laughs> say. <laughs> <laughs> well sell, <laughs> sell addressing. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um the book I read is uh the brand new book uh, by James Hornfisher, Who Can Hold the Sea? The United States Navy in the Cold War since from nineteen forty five to nineteen sixty, and I would as you know, in keeping with Hornfisher, it's an awesome book. I would oh, recommend yeah. it to really? I would recommend it to everybody. Yeah.
2: Has it already been out? I thought it wasn't coming Shut out. Shut the
0: yet. fuck up, Will. Anyway <laughs> Yeah, it's an awesome book. Timmy, quit pounding on your keyboard, bro. Sorry, man. Just All picking right. it up. I'm sorry. All right. That's Thanks, a shame boys. Shame to have lost him. <laughs> have a great Have a great day.
1: Safe we'll, trip, man.
0: Yeah, we'll just talk to you next week. Mercifully, that will do it. My thank you to my friends for coming on and fucking me over that night. Yeah. Yeah, the longest book reviews they've ever done. And and I should splice in the little thing I say just before we go on. Hey, guys, I got to catch flight. Um, About 45 or 50 minutes is all I need. Got it. Got it, got it, got it, got it. And then what do they do? They go long format on me. They go LP. Right. And notice how polite I am because the way my mother raised me. Kathleen. Right. I don't say shit. They all, three of them wax eloquent. Not one of them remembers. Mm-hmm. Don't think they're not going to pay for that at some point in the <laughs> in the future. And here's the other thing. Right. At the start of that segment... I, te- I hand Will to Jeff on a silver platter. And what does he do? He says nice things about it. Unbelievable, man. Unbelievable. You cannot count on anything these days. Right? Here we are lauding Will's amazing intellect. Feeding him to Jeffrey. Right? Jeff doesn't say nice things about anybody and then he goes like soft on him and you think you know somebody anyway uh, thanks for listening today Um, let me see if I can get them to do the the thing about Greg Newbold and uh, speaking truth to power uh, what General Sullivan said uh, over the weekend I'm not sure I'll be able to Uh, I'm actually going to be flying during the Super Bowl, I think. I don't even know what time it is. Doesn't it start Sunday afternoon? Yeah, I'm flying from 2 till 7, 8. Yeah, (laughs) so I think I'm going to miss the Super Bowl. I don't care, though. Anyway, uh, going to Anchorage, Alaska. How about that? They told me to bring my good coat. Anyway, um, if I can help you help somebody, do not hesitate to call me what I do um, all the contact information comes to my Samsung cell phone my beautiful Samsung cell phone and um, like I said uh, don't be afraid to stick your hand out um, even if you're all even if, even if you only listen to this and all you know is you're not gonna get over it right stop faking it and if you struggle with trauma you got to stop drinking if that's all you know start there man um, you're halfway up the first, right, the face of the valley of the shadow of death. I, I've given the valley of shadow death terrain uh, identifiers. The first part, the steep part, is called the face. The next part where it gets a little bit more gentle is called the slope. The place where the face turns into the slope is called the turn. And then at the top, there's uh, the shelf and then once you get on the shelf to be able to go to the way the place where you win that place yeah um, I call that the run it's this gentle even down slope that's the easiest thing in the world to do all you gotta do is stick your hand out so don't be afraid to stick your hand out because for those of you that have gone through traumatic experiences, and lived in a world where you didn't think it would ever get better, Um, you don't live there anymore, right? And so you don't need to be an expert at this. just need to be a friend that's not afraid to stick their hand out. So don't be afraid to do that. And if I can help you, yell. I'm Mike McNamara the Solid Marine Radio. Once again, my thanks to the Marines and Sailors of the Second Marine Air Wing and for all their graciousness to me the last couple weeks. Thank you. It's a uh, it's humbling uh, to be uh, to to go back there and continue to do the work uh, we started two years ago, and the results speak for themselves. And I'm awful proud of my small contribution to it, and hugely proud of the way you've taken it and run with it. So, congratulations. On that note, have a great Super Bowl weekend. We'll see you on Monday. I'm out.